Can I ask you to turn your Bibles to our passage for this morning, please? That's Mark chapter 6. So um, whether you're using a gadget or whatever, if you're using a church Bible, uh, it's on page 841. 841, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 33. Uh, can I just say again, thank you so much for letting me come here. It's amazing that I'm being allowed to preach this morning. Um, you may well be saying to one another afterwards, it is amazing that he was allowed to preach here this morning. <laughs> but I'm very honored to be here, thank you. And I have to say, your auditorium is beautiful. And I also want to say, it's a wonderful auditorium for a Mark drama. It really is very, very good. Mark chapter 6, let's, I'll read the passage. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joses, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. And others said, he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee, but when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. 
And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and said, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, for because of his oaths, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I know in that last song we've just prayed, but I'd like to pray again now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have your word in our hands. Please take our lives into your hands and speak into them. And we pray in Jesus' name. I think it's wonderful that you're doing a series in Mark's Gospel, going through the whole of Mark's Gospel. I need to make it clear that I'm not one of these people who can only preach from one book of the Bible. I'm not uh, just a Mark's Gospel man, but I'm very happy to be preaching from Mark's Gospel this morning. And in the first half of Mark's Gospel, you've already seen this, the big question that arises is, who is this man? And the second question that arises in the first half of Mark's gospel is, how are people going to react to Jesus? How are they going to respond to Jesus? We saw that very clearly, didn't we, when we looked at the stilling of the storm? It's at the end of chapter 4. Do you remember that far back? Because you've had a break now for Advent and, and Christmas. But Jesus stilled the storm, and what happened after the storm? The disciples get out the oars, and they ask themselves a question. Who is this man? The wind obeys him. The waves obey him. Who is this man? That's the question that's there in the first half of Mark's gospel. And that stilling of the storm is the first of four miracles which show that Jesus is Lord. It tells us who Jesus is. He stilled the storm. He's Lord over nature. He drove out demons from legion. He's Lord over evil. He healed a sick woman who touched his clothes. Do you remember? He's Lord over sickness. And he raised Jairus' daughter from death. He's Lord over death. He's Lord over nature, over evil, over sickness and over death. And I'm sure that Mark wants us to ask ourselves the question, who is this Jesus, and is he Lord over me? 
Today in our passage, the passage we've just read together, we see different reactions to Jesus. So let's look at this passage. Let's be open to the Holy Spirit as we look at God's word together. Firstly, in chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, we see people saying no to Jesus. Saying no to Jesus. Verse 1, Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, that's Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Jesus goes home to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and he's teaching in the synagogue. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus was teaching that day. But Luke, in his gospel, does tell us what Jesus was teaching that day. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus read, read to the people from the prophecy of Isaiah. It was the passage that we just heard a few minutes ago, Isaiah chapter 61. And this passage begins with these words, the Lord, the Lord has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. That is a prophecy about the Messiah. The Lord has anointed me, not another human being, like another human being that used to anoint a king in the Old Testament. God has anointed me. And not with oil, he's anointed me with his spirit. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is the Messiah speaking in Isaiah chapter 61. And that's the passage Jesus reads out in Nazareth. He hands the scroll back, he sits down, and everybody is waiting to hear what he's going to say next. Today, in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. That's Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 21. Can you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, It's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61. I am the Savior. This is an extraordinary moment. That's what Jesus is teaching in verse 2 of our passage. And Mark tells us three, gives us three expressions that tell us how people were reacting to Jesus that day in Nazareth. The first one is there in uh, uh, verse 2. Second half of verse 2. Many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? They're astonished. They're astonished because of his teaching. They talk about his wisdom, but they're astonished by his miracles as well. Where did he get where, such mighty works? So they're astonished. They're also offended. Have a look at verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So they're sitting there in the synagogue, and they're thinking, who does this guy think he is? We knew him when he was in short trousers. We can't believe this guy. We can't take this guy seriously. 
they're offended. Jesus knows what's going on, verse 4. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. It's, a, it's a, probably a well-known proverb at the time, but Jesus is saying, the people that think they know me best are often the people who are going to find it hardest to follow me, to believe me, to trust me. Verse 5, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And now look at verse 6, please. Mark tells us Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Now it's Jesus' turn to be astonished. He is astonished at their unbelief. So we've had astonishment, we've had their offended. And now we've got, they refuse to believe. They will not believe in Jesus. They will not trust him. They will not believe that he's the Messiah, that he's the Lord. So they are saying no to Jesus. And there are people today, even people who think they know a lot about Jesus, maybe who were brought up going to church, they know about Jesus, but they say, no, I don't want this. And they say no to Jesus. They may be astonished, but they're also offended. And they will not believe. The end of verse 6, Jesus went out, went about among the villages teaching. Come with me to the second part of the passage. Secondly, in verses 7 to 13, we see some people being sent out by Jesus. Verse 7, Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Earlier in the gospel, uh, uh, Mark has told us that Jesus appointed twelve people to be apostles. And he, he says this when, when Jesus appoints the apostles. This is in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, Jesus appointed twelve to be with him and then to send them out. Well, they've already been with him. They've been watching. They've been listening. They've seen Jesus in action. And today is the day when they're going to be sent out. Jesus is sending them out on a mission. He's sending them out on a training mission, actually. There's all sorts of things they don't know, they don't understand yet. But they're now going to be learning by doing. So far, they've been spectators, really listening to Jesus teach, watching Jesus do these miracles. And now he's saying, now you go out. You go out, you will do these miracles, you will teach. These are people being sent out by Jesus. That's always true, actually. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you've started to follow Jesus, Jesus will send you out. He will give you a job to do, won't he? He doesn't want us just to be spectators, to be watching and listening. He wants us to spend time with him, and then he wants to send us out. So Jesus sends them out here. And, and it's clear that they're going to have to trust God. Look at verse 8. 
He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And they're not taking lots of comforts with them. They're going to have to trust God when they go. Verse 10, he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Now, hospitality was a big thing in the first century in, the Jewish, in Jewish culture. Uh, when, they, when these pairs of disciples arrived in a village or somewhere like that, they wouldn't find it difficult probably for someone to take them in for a couple of nights. That wouldn't be a problem. But Jesus is saying here, if you have been there for a couple of nights and then you get a better offer from somebody else in the same village, don't take it. This is not about you finding the best accommodation in that village. This is about me sending you out as my representatives to share my good news. Verse 11, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. In other words, when people say no to your message, and some people will say no to your message, he's warning them here. That is the responsibility of the people who say no. You be faithful to your message, and it's the, the listener's responsibility whether they say yes or they say no. Verse 12, Mark says, They went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So here are the apostles, the 12 apostles, being sent out by Jesus. And they will have grown through this. They will have, they will, they will, they've ex they're, they're experiencing God's power as they go out and encourage people to repent and they do these miracles. They are growing. They are, they are growing as disciples of Jesus. And actually, if you're a Christian, if you're a truster in Jesus, if you trust that Jesus, when he died on the cross, was dying for your sins so you could be forgiven then you know that this is true. Often the times when you've grown as a Christian are the times when you've been out of your comfort zone. When there's been someone that needed help and you've gone and helped and trusted God to help you. Some, some, or some mission possibility that you had and you thought, gulp, this is hard, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go. I'm going to trust God. And you've, you've done that, and God has used you and helped you, and you've grown. You've got to know Jesus better, haven't you? There's nobody nodding here, so maybe I'm the only person who's had this experience. But I think if you're a truster in Jesus, you know this is true. When Jesus has sent you out into a situation, you have grown. You've got to know Jesus better. Thank you. There are some nodders here. Um, and let me just say about the Mark drama, since I'm here for Mark drama as, as well today, um, that's the people most impacted by the Mark drama are actually the actors, the acting team. It's eight men and seven women. Um, most of those people, I said it earlier, they're not people who naturally want to do drama, but they've come and they've thought, well, I'll give it a go. I, it, this is difficult, but I'm going to do it. 
And I've never met anyone who's regretted being part of a Mark Drama team. I did a Mark Drama in Surbiton for a group of four churches back in November. And there was a guy in the team who was quite shy, not naturally a drama type. He wrote to me afterwards and he said, do you know, I think doing this Mark Drama is one of the best things I have ever done. It really impacted him, quite apart from other people who came to the performances. Now that's true for all kinds of things. There may be things that Jesus is prompting you to do. A neighbor who you could invite in for coffee. Somebody at work that you might ask them if they're interested in reading a Mark's Gospel. Somebody who's in trouble in the church family and you think, well, I could just give some kind of support. I could send a card and say I'm praying. And we're being prompted. Jesus wants to send us out to make us a blessing to others. So some people here are saying no to Jesus. Some people in this passage are being sent out by Jesus. The third part of the passage, verses 14 to 29, there is someone misunderstanding Jesus. And this is Herod. This will have to go quickly. Look at verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. Another said, he's a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, that's John the Baptist, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So Herod is misunderstanding Jesus. He thinks Jesus is John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And then what Mark does here is he gives us a a, a, a flashback to something that happened months and months before this, how it came to be that Herod had John the Baptist executed. You could ask yourself the question, why does Mark do this? Why does Mark tell us this story? What's so important about this story? I think there are two reasons. The first reason why Mark tells us this story about the death of John the Baptist is that Mark is saying to us, don't be like Herod. Don't be like Herod. Have a look at the story with me very quickly. Please look at the text because I can't read it all out again. Verse um, 17, it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias who is Herod's new wife, wants to get rid of John the Baptist because he's a stirrer, he's causing problems. But Herod actually doesn't want to get rid of John the Baptist. Have a look at verse 25. No, not verse 25. Verse 20. Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. So he puts John in prison so that Herodias can't get at him, but he's not going to do anything else. He's going to leave John there because he respects John. He fears him. He knows that John the Baptist is righteous and holy. Then Herod has his birthday party. You know the story. You knew it already, maybe, or you've heard it read to you. And 
Herod's wife's daughter, so Herodias' daughter, comes and dances. And Herod is obviously really impressed by this dance. I won't go into what it might have been like. And Herod, maybe he's had too much to drink. Look what he says here. He says in verse 22, second half of the verse, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, what should Herod say now? I'll tell you what Herod should say now, because he knows that John is holy and righteous. We saw that in verse 20. What Herod should say now is, I'm embarrassed. I should never have made that offer about giving you half up to anything, up to half my kingdom. I shouldn't have said that. I have to tell you, John the Baptist is in the other half of the kingdom. I am not going to behead John the Baptist. I am not going to give you his head on a platter. I was wrong to make that silly promise. But instead, what does he say? Verse 26, the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Do you see verse 25? No, verse 26. Because of his guests. Let me tell you what Herod's doing here. Herod doesn't do what is right because he's afraid of what other people will, will think. You get that? Herod doesn't do what is right because he's afraid of what other people will think. Does that ring a bell? Happens to me sometimes. And I think Mark is telling us here, don't be like Herod. Jesus says it. In chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus says to the disciples, watch out for the yeast of Herod. I think the yeast of Herod is not doing things we know to be right because we're afraid of what other people will think. Is that speaking to you? So I think the first reason Mark tells us this story is because he's saying, don't be like Herod. The second reason, I think, is he's telling us something about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. If we want to be followers of Jesus, if we're ready to be sent out by Jesus. Because before and after this story, you've got the disciples being sent out and then coming back. I won't read them now, but look at verse 30. Well, I will read verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. But Mark is saying to us, but have a look at this story in the middle about Herod and John the Baptist. Discipleship has a price. Discipleship costs something. John the Baptist was a very faithful disciple of Jesus. He pointed other people to Jesus and look what happened to him. It cost him his life. 
So I think that's also the message of this, this passage. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're so grateful that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again, and we've, we trust Jesus and we've started following him, and we're ready to be sent out to be used by Jesus, to tell other people about Jesus, and to be a blessing to others, there will be a cost. There will be some people who will say no. There will some people, there'll be some people who will say no to Jesus. There will, some, there will be people who will misunderstand Jesus like Herod did. But the message is clear. Because of who Jesus is, because he's the Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. God has anointed him. Because he's the Messiah, it makes sense for us to trust him and to follow him and to ask to be ready to be sent out by him, to be used by him for his glory. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Is there one thing in this passage that you think, yes, that's for me? Maybe you have been saying no to Jesus recently. Well, it's time to say yes again. Or maybe you have been misunderstanding Jesus and thinking, no, no, he's not the son of God, he's not the Messiah. Maybe it's time to look again at the gospel and think about who is Jesus. And maybe recently you haven't been willing to be sent out by Jesus to be a blessing to others in his world. Well, here's an opportunity to say yes again. And if we do that, we will experience his joy. Let's pray. A very brief silence in which we can make our own response to this. Maybe there's one thing that struck you from this passage this morning. Just let's talk to God in the silence and then I'll lead us in a short prayer. Lord Jesus, we, we, we worship you. We praise you that you are the Messiah. We thank you that you are the Lord. Lord, over nature, evil, sickness, and death, we want you to be Lord over us too. Please send us out to be a blessing to others and to share with the world the good news about you. We put ourselves in your hands And we worship you and we pray in your great and strong name. Amen.